Late in the night, you walk the poorly lit streets. Summer is coming to an end, and you can feel the temperatures turn cool. The streets are bare at this time of night, the once hustle and bustle now silent. You stroll at your leisure, taking in the quiet, then footsteps from behind. Glancing behind shows an empty street. A cool breeze passes you and you shiver. Walking on, again, footsteps, this time closer than before. You turn and nothing. You start to become unnerved, walking faster. You're almost at the end of the street. Footsteps again behind you, faster and closer. You pick up pace, glancing behind you when you could. Fear pumps through your veins. As you turn the corner, you're knocked back onto the streets. Shaking with fear, you can't look up. An elderly hand appears above. An old gentleman stands apologizing. You take his hand and stand relieved. He again apologizes and walks on. You laugh, thinking how silly you were. Your back faces a dark alley. A glint of a knife pierces the darkness. Oblivious, you gather yourself. But then, a chill creeps down your spine. Your heart palpitates. A warm breath hits the back of your neck. Before you could turn, an arm crosses your chest and a hand crosses your mouth. You're pulled back, swallowed up by the darkness. This was Jack the Ripper. And this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. Jack the Ripper was an unknown serial killer in the poor areas around Whitechapel in the East End of London in 1888. At the time, the killer wasn't called Jack the Ripper. At first, he was known as the Whitechapel Murderer or Leather Apron. Jack the Ripper mainly killed female prostitutes that lived in the slums of East End. Their throats were slit first, and then the bodies mutilated. Organs were removed in at least three victims. This led to the idea the killer knew about the human anatomy, with possible surgical training. In the September to October 1888, many letters came into the media outlets in Scotland Yard, claiming to be the murderer. Jack the Ripper came from one of these letters and was picked up by the media. This letter in particular is believed to have been a hoax, possibly written by a journalist in a bid to keep the public's attention high and increase newspaper sales. A letter called From Hell was sent to George Lusk, who was part of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, and the letter apparently came with half a kidney, claiming it came from a victim. The public began to believe it was one killer and called him Jack the Ripper because of the brutalities of the murders and the media using the name. Eleven horrific murders were looked into from 1888 to 1891, but only five, known as the Canical Five, are thought to be of that of the Ripper. They are Mary Ann Nicholas, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Kathleen Edos, and Mary Jane Kelly. 
The murders were never solved and have legends surrounding them of mixed research and folklore capturing the public's imagination back then and even today. So the mid-19th century had Britain hit with a rise of Irish immigrants who poured into the cities, including the East End. Jewish refugees fleeing pogroms, which are riots that massacre refugee groups, especially Jews, in the Russian Empire, along with others from Eastern Europe. They also emigrated to Britain. Whitechapel fast became overcrowded, increasing by 80,000 by 1888. The overcrowded and strained the system causing work and housing conditions to worsen. Children at the time in the East End didn't live long. In fact, 55% born in the East End died before they were five. Robbery, violence and alcoholism was common. The vast property had many women turned to prostitution to survive daily, not weekly, simply day to day. October 1888, London's police estimated there was about 60 brothels. In Whitechapel, 1,200 women worked as prostitutes. About 8,500 people lived in just 233 homes called common lodging houses within Chap Whitechapel. At night, for a single bed would set you back four pence, or for two pence you could sleep at a hangover also called a coffin house and yes it is exactly as the name states a house full of coffins to sleep in this was one of the first homeless shelters created social unrest would stead steadily rise the police often clashed with the public unrest like anti-semitism crime racism social disturbance and in 1887 bloody sunday all of this had Whitechapel seen as a place of immorality. This would only be strengthened in the autumn of 1888 when the murders of Jack the Ripper gathered media coverage. At the time, there was a lot of attacks on women in the East End, so it was unsure how many victims were killed by the same murderer. April 88 to February 1891, 11, 11 separate murders happened. These were included in police investigations called the Whitechapel murders. Some believe these 11 were done by the same killer. But five of the Whitechapel murders, also known as the Conical Five, they are widely believed to be, to be done by the Ripper. The five had deep slash wounds on their throat, mutilation, miss, missing organs and facial mutilation, all the work of Jack the Ripper. The first two cases recorded in Whitechapel murders are Emma Smith and Martha Tabron, but they aren't included in the Conical Five. Emma was robbed and sexually assaulted at about half one in the morning on April 3rd, 1888. She was beaten to the face and had a cut to her ear. An object was used to sexually assault her, rupturing her peritoneum. Because of this, she developed peritonitis and sadly died the next day. Emma was able to give her account before she died. She said two or three men attacked her. One, she said, was a teen. This murder would be suggested by the press as being of the Ripper, but most believed she was a victim of general gang violence in the area. August 7, 1888, Martha was killed at a staircase landing. 
She had 39 stabs to her throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach and abdomen, with more knife wounds to her breast and vagina. All of her wounds were done with a blade and by a right-handed person. Marta though was not raped. The horrific nature of the murder, the no motive, the location, all had similarities to the Conical Five, which linked to Jack the Ripper. But Marta was stabbed and the Conical Five were slashed. Due to the wound pattern, many believe Marta wasn't a victim of Jack the Ripper. The Conical Five were Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Edos, and Mary Jane Kelly. August 31st, 1888, Mary Ann Nichols was found in Bucks Row. She was last seen alive an hour before her body was found. Emily Holland found Mary Ann's body. Emily and Mary Ann had previously shared a bed at a common lodging house in Troll Street. Mary Ann's throat was severed with two deep cuts, one of which severed all the tissue right down to the vertebrae. Her vagina was stabbed twice and her lower abdomen was partly ripped open, causing her bowels to come out. Several more downward incisions were also found down both sides of her abdomen. A week later, September 8, 1888, Annie Chapman's body was found about 6 o'clock in the morning near the steps to the doorway of 29 Hanbury Street. Like Mary Ann, Annie had two deep throats cuts. Annie's abdomen was cut wide open with part of her stomach being placed on her left shoulder. Her small intestines were also removed and put on her right shoulder. In the autopsy was found Annie's uterus, bladder and vagina were removed. At an inquest in Annie's murder, Elizabeth Long said she'd seen Annie outside 29 Hanbury Street about 5.30am. Elizabeth said Annie was with a dark-haired man of shabby, gentile appearance. Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes were both killed early morning September 30, 1888. Elizabeth was found at about 1 o'clock in the morning in Jutesfield Yard. Her cause of death was clear-cut about 6 inches across the neck, which severed her left carotid artery and trachea. No further mutilation was found which could mean she wasn't a ripper or a victim, or that he was interrupted. Sever would later tell police of seeing Elizabeth with a man in and around Burnley Street on September 29th and again early hours of September 30th. But descriptions of the male differ. Some had him fair, others said he was dark. Some said he was poorly dressed, while others said he was dressed smartly. Catherine's body was found in a corner of Meteor Square just 45 minutes after Elizabeth was found. Her throat was slashed from ear to ear and her abdomen was ripped open. Her intestines were over her shoulder, with part of the intestines detached and placed between her body and left arm. Catherine's left kidney and uterus were removed. Her face was disfigured, nose severed, cheeks slashed and cuts across her eyelids. A triangle cut pointed to her eyes was carved on each cheek and pieces of her right ear was removed later found in her clothing. The police surgeon who completed Catherine's autopsy said in his opinion all the mutilations of Catherine would have taken time to complete.
Joseph Lawend was a local cigarette salesman. He and two friends walked through the square a little before the murder. He said he saw a fair-haired man looking a little shabby with a woman, possibly Catherine. His friends couldn't confirm this. Catherine and Elizabeth's murder would later be called the double event. At 2.55 a.m., a piece of Catherine's bloody apron was found at the entrance in Goulston Street. Above it, on the wall in chalk, was a message that read, quote, The Jews, J-U-W-E-S, are the men that will not be blamed for nothing, end quote. The message pointed blame for the murders to a Jew or group of Jews, but it's not clear if the murderer wrote, murderer wrote this or if it was there before, and just a coincidence that the item was dropped here. Having the message no, nothing to do with the case, Graffiti was common in Whitechapel, but the police commissioner, Charles Warren, was concerned that the message would start a riot of anti-Semitic in nature, so he ordered it to be removed before dawn. November 9, 1888, the mutilated and disemboweled body of Mary Jane Kelly was found in a bed at 13 Miller's Court. Her face was described as hacked beyond recognition. Her throat was cut down to the spine with the abdomen near empty of organs. Her uterus, kidneys and breasts were placed around her head. Other parts were found at her feet and sections of their abdomen and thighs were on her bedside table. Her heart was missing though. Ashes in the fireplace indicated the murderer had used it to light the room as he mutilated the body. The fire was so hot and high it melted the solder between the kettle and spite and it collapsed into the grate. Each of the Conical Five happened late at night and around weekends. The mutilations would increase from one to the next except Elizabeth Stride, whose attacker may have been interrupted. Mary Ann Nichols had no missing organs. Annie Chapman's uterus and parts of her bladder vagina were taken. Catherine Eddowes had her uterus and kidney removed along with her face mutilated and Mary Jane Kelly had the most organs removed and her face slashed in every direction. Her neck was cut to the bone and her head was missing even from the scene. Confirming the five to one murder was done in 1894 by Sir Melvin McNaughton who was an assistant chief constable. He reported, quote, the Whitechapel murder had five victims and five victims only, end quote. Some researchers argue some of the murders were done by one culprit. Authors Stuart P. Evans and Donald Rumbelow argued the Conical Five as a ripper myth. They argued the three, Nicholas Chapman and Evans, definitely linked to the same killer but Stride and Kelly, it's less certain. Others believe from Tambrin to Kelly were all done by one killer. A Dr. Percy Clark, an assistant to George Baxter Phillips, the police surgeon, would link three of the murders, but the others, he said, were done by, quote, a weak-minded individual or individuals, end quote, suggesting a copycat of sorts. Melville didn't join the force until a year after the murders, so his thinking and conclusion contained serious holes and errors about the suspects. 
Mary Jane Kelly is widely regarded as the Ripper's last victim. It's thought the murders ended because the killer died, was jailed, institutionalized or moved away. The Whitechapel murders files had four others that happened after the Conical Five. They were Rose Mallet, Alice Mackenzie, the Pinchon Street Torso and Francis Cole. Rose Mallet was 26 and found strangled in Clark's yard on December 20, 1888. At first there was no sign of a struggle so the police thought Rose hung herself either by accident while under the influence of alcohol or purposely committing suicide. But faint marks left by the cord on one side of her neck suggested she was strangled. At the inquest into her death, the, the jury agreed it was murder. July 17, 1889, Alice Mackenzie was killed just after midnight. She had two stab wounds to her neck with her left carotid artery destroyed. She had minor bruises and cuts all over her body. Pathologist Thomas Bond believes she was a Ripper victim. September 10, 1889, a headless, legless, decomposing torso of a woman was found under the railway arch in Pitchin Street. Because of the location and the fact she couldn't be identified, the police called her the Pitchin Street Torso. The body had bruising on her back, hip and arm suggesting a beating before death. The victim's abdomen was mutilated. From exam, they put her time of death a day before the torso was found. It was, it's believed she wasn't killed at the railway, but instead transported to the railway and hidden under her own chimsey. February 13, 1891, PC Ernest Thompson stumbled upon the body of Francis Cole under a railway arch of Swallow Gardens. Her throat was slashed, but her body wasn't touched. Thompson believed he may have disturbed the killer. Frances was still alive when Thompson found her, but died before medical help could come. Witnesses pointed to James Sadler, a stoker who was drinking with Frances and seen fighting with her hours before her death. Sadler was arrested and charged with the murder. For a time, he was thought to be Jack the Ripper, but in March 1891, he was discharged due to a lack of evidence. Along with the 11 Whitechapel murders, there was others thought to be possible Jack the Ripper victims. There's the story of Fairy Faye. This isn't known to be real or a myth connected to the Ripper. Fairy Faye is a name given to a body of a woman allegedly found near Commercial Road after Christmas 1887. A stake was thrust through her abdomen, but no record of this is found. Most say Fairy Fay never happened and was created from confusion of Emma Smith's murder. Next was widow Annie Millwood, February 25, 1888. She came into Whitechapel Workhouse Infirmary with stab wounds on her legs, lower body, she claimed she was attacked by an unknown man with a knife. She'd recover and was discharged, but in March on March 31st, she died of natural causes. Ada Wilson was next on March 28th. A young dressmaker, she was stabbed twice in the neck on the doorstep of her home. Annie Farmer, who lived in the same lodging house as Martha Tarburn, 
was attacked November 21st, 1888. An unknown man with blood she claimed in his mouth and on his hands cut her throat before fleeing. Annie's wound was shallow and could have been self-inflicted. The Whitehall mystery came when a headless body of a woman was found October 2nd, 1888 in the basement of the new police headquarters being built in Whitehall. The arm and shoulder of this body was found September before floating in the River Thames. A leg of the body was found on October 17th buried next to the torso. The body was never identified. The mutilations on this body was similar to the one connected to Jack the Ripper, known as the Pynchon Street Torso. The Whitehall mystery and the Pynchon Street may have been part of the Thames mystery, which were committed by the killer known as the Torso Killer. It's not known if Jack the Ripper was the Torso Killer, or if two serial killers were active in the same area at the same time. The pattern of the two were different, leaving police not to connect them. Only one of the four torso victims were identified, Elizabeth Jackson, a prostitute from Chelsea. Her body parts were collected from the Thames over three weeks in 1889. December 29, 1888, John Gill, who was seven, was found in a stable block in Bradford. John was missing since December 27th. His legs were cut off, his abdomen, abdomen was open, intestines slightly pulled out, and his heart and ear were removed. With similarities to those of Jack the Ripper, it's thought John was killed by him. John was employed by milkman William Barnett, who was 23. He was arrested twice for the murders, but released. No one was ever prosecuted. Carrie Brown also calls Shakespeare for her ability to quote him. She was strangled and mutilated April 24, 1891, in New York City. She had a large tear through her groin and cuts all over her legs and back. No organs were removed, but an ovary was found on her bed. At the time, her murder was compared to the Whitechapel, but police ruled it out as any connections connected to Jack the Ripper. Most of the City of London police files related to Whitechapel murders were destroyed in the Blitz in 1940-1941. Those that did survive gave details of the investigative procedures in the Victorian era. It showed a large team of police went house to house doing inquiries in Whitechapel. Forensic material was collected and examined. Suspects were identified, traced, examined again or ruled out. Over 2,000 were interviewed, 300 investigated and 80 were detained. After the killings of Stride and Eddowes, a reward of £500 was offered by the Commissioner, Sir James Fraser, to arrest Jack the Ripper. At first, the investigations were done by Inspector Edmund Reed and his team. After Nicholas' murder, Detective Frederick Aberline, Henry Moore and Walter Andrews were sent from Scotland Yard to help out. The newly appointed CID Robert Anderson was in Switzerland when Chapman, Stride and Eddowes were killed. Not being in the country hampered the direction the murder inquiries took, so Chief Inspector Donald Swanson was now appointed to coordinate the inquiries from Scotland Yard. Because of how the mutilations were done, butchers, slaughterers, surgeons and even doctors were all suspected. Some higher-up figures, including Queen Victoria, thought the pattern of the murders would point to a butcher 
or cattle drover that came on cattle boats from Europe to London. Whitechapel was near the London docks where these, where these boats docked on Thursday and Fridays and left Saturdays and Sundays. Cattle boats were examined but dates didn't match with murders so it was ruled out. September 1888, a group of citizens in the East End decided to form a volunteer vigilance committee called the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. They would walk the streets like patrol looking for suspicious people. They did this because they felt the police weren't making headway and there are growing concerns as business was being affected with the ongoing killings. They requested a reward put up by the government. The committee raised their own reward of £50 for information leading to the capture of the killer and they even hired a private detective to do their own questioning. The killings happened around the weekends in public holidays and close to each other. This hints that the Ripper worked probably weekdays and lived in the area. Others would say he was likely educated, upper class, possibly a doctor who came into the area but lived in a more well-off area. Suspects went on for years, including a royal, an artist and a well-known physician. Over the course of the murders, the police and newspapers received bags of letters. Some were well-intentioned trying to help, but others were hoaxes or more so pointless. Hundreds claimed to be the killer. Three of note are the Dear Boss letter, the Saucy Jack postcard and the From Hell letter. The Dear Boss letter dated September 25, 1888 was first considered a hoax, but three days after, Eddowes was found with a piece of her ear cut off. In the Dear Boss letter, it promised to clip the lady's ear off. This had the letter taken a bit more serious. Looking closer at Edo, the ear seemed more of an accidental cut than purpose. The writer of the letter also threatened to send on the ear, which never happened. In this letter, the name Jack the Ripper appears and gained notoriety after it was published. Letters after this would copy the tone and have their own nickname like George of the High Rip Gang. The Saucy Jack postcard came October 1st, 1888 to the Central News Agency. The handwriting would look similar to the Dear Boss letter. In it, the conical five murders were connected, with the writer mentioning a double event this time. It's argued the postcard was posted before the murders, but it was postmarked 24 hours after, which was long after the murders and known, were known and publicised and had become gossip within the community, so it could have been a hoax. The letter from hell was sent to George Lusk, he was the head of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee on October 16, 1888. The handwriting wasn't like that of the others. This letter came with a small box. When opened, half a human kidney that was in ethanol was found. Edo's left kidney was removed by her killer. In the letter, it claimed he or she had fried and ate the other half. Some believe the kidney was in Edo's and was part of a sick, creepy joke. The kidney was sent to London Hospital and examined by Dr. Openshaw. He said it was human and from the left side. Openshaw was also get a letter signed from Jack the Ripper. 
Scotland Yard had no leads so they tried to get some. They published pieces of the Dear Boss and Saucy Jack on October 3rd. It was hoped someone might recognise the handwriting. October 7th, 1888, a journalist, George R. Sims, would suggest that it was written by the journalists to raise sales of newspapers. Later, police claimed to identify a journalist for the dear boss. The journalist was said to be Tom Bullen. In 1931, a journalist, Fred Besk, confessed that he and a colleague at the Star wrote the Jack the Ripper letters to keep the business alive. The Ripper murders marked a changing point in media, how crime was treated by journalists. Jack the Ripper wasn't the first serial killer, but it was the first to make a media stir worldwide. In 1880, an act called the Elementary Education Act came into force. This made attending school compulsory, no matter your class. Because of this, by 1888, more working class were now literate. Tax reforms came in the 1850s, making cheaper newspapers with a wider circulation. At the height of the investigations, over one million copies of newspapers were sold, sold daily. The majority of them were covering the Whitechapel murders. Many of these copies had hyped up claims, usually printed with false or misleading information. Several articles hinted at the identity, which had locals fearful of Jews or foreigners. Journalists would become frustrated with the lack of details from investigators, so they reported their own tales, calling the killer Leather Apron. John Pizer, a local Jew shoemaker, would often be called Leather Apron. He was arrested with no evidence against him. Once his alibis were confirmed, he was released. The nature and impoverished murders of the victims drew attention to the East End and the poor living condition. Twenty years after the murders, the worst of the slums were cleared and demolished. The streets and some buildings did survive. The legend that is the Ripper still remains with various guided tours of the murder sites. Jack the Ripper became a child's boogeyman, scaring them of monstrous tales if they misbehaved. The Ripper would be described as a shadowy figure, top hat, Dracula cape. His imaginary image has appeared in films, books, stories, games, operas, songs and TV shows. Although his identity will never be known, his legend continues strong today. Thank you all for listening. Next time I will be looking at the Little Rock Nine, a group of nine African-American students who enrolled at an all-white high school in Little Rock in September 1957. Their attendance was a test of Brown v. Board of Education, a huge 1954 Supreme Court ruling declaring segregation in public schools as unconstitutional. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.